Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 365. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person, on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Mike Toucan. He is the CEO of Onfido. Now, Onfido is a really interesting company. They are really one of the world leaders when it comes to identity verification and digital identity. We've had their former CEO, Hussein Kasai, on the show before as well, but Want to get Mike back on because they are making a big announcement shortly. They're going to be on the keynote stage at Lended Fintech USA, happening in New York on May 25th and 26th, uh, where Mike will be talking on the keynote stage with senior executives from MasterCard and HSBC. But anyway, on this show, we really go through the whole kind of landscape that Onfido operate in and how businesses are using their technology, what tech technology is doing, what are the consumer expectations when it comes to the account opening process and the rigmarole that one must go through to verify their identity. We talk about how they're using AI and how they think about risk. Uh, Mike also gives his vision on the future of digital identity. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've, uh, you've done a, quite a few things in your career, not exactly a typical fintech CEO background. So give us some of the highlights. You know, I started out as a super techie engineer. <laughs> and my first job out of engineering school was actually designing computer chips. Hmm. Then I got my lobotomy, went to B school had a number of different business-related experiences, and I've had a chance to be a CEO three times. So Onfido is now my, my third opportunity, and we're going to make sure it's the best one. <laughs> okay. So what was it that attracted you to the opportunity at Onfido? I was looking for an opportunity to work on a big problem that's not well-solved with a company that had incredible traction and had an opportunity to win in that big context. And Onfido really had all of that, right? Solving the digital identity problem was an enormous problem. Not well solved today, I would argue, across the board. Mm-hmm. And on Fido, we're solving a part of it very well today. And our business grew over 90% last year and over 100 million US in revenue. So interesting scale, very high growth in the middle of a very, very exciting and complex and fast changing landscape. Right, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I had your predecessor, Hassan Kasai, on the show probably, I think it was like three years ago or thereabouts. And obviously you've been in the job, what, it was 2020, I think? Was it late 2020 you got on the job, right? That's right. So about 18 months now. Yeah. So then I'd love to sort of get your sense. You've got 18 months in the job. Maybe we start off with saying how you describe Onfido's business today, and then we can talk about some of the things you've been working on. 
Yeah, so we're all about helping companies simplify their digital identity worldwide, right? The, one of the core problems that almost every customer needs to solve is as their businesses move from physical to digital, connecting together who we are as individuals in real life with your digital ID. I'm not doglover101 at, at gmail.com. I'm Mike Tukin. And mm-hmm. you know, verifying that allows me to take advantage of all those things online, create a bank account, be an Uber driver if I want to do that, rent out a, an Airbnb. All of those different things need to actually have identity verification. So we solve that problem. We do that with AI machine learning driven approach in 195 countries. In the 10 years since Hussein, Ayman, uh, and Rahul created the company, we've done that 175 million times in 195 countries. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I believe you're based in the Bay Area, right? That's right. This company is officially still based in London. Is that true? That's right. So the company's London. And actually, honestly, bounce back and forth between the Bay Area where I am right now and Florida. And I spend probably a little bit more time in Florida because it's a lot closer time zone wise right. to, to the UK and the rest of Europe where we have a big presence than California is. And, and having those three hours in the morning is super precious, shorter flights back and forth. So we're actually a little bit more weighted to uh, Florida right now. But yeah. I mean, you said, you know, I talked about transactions in 195 countries. What is your actual footprint now at Onfido? Where are their offices? We've got over 650 people right now in the company. Headquartered in London, big office in Paris, in uh, Lisbon, Portugal. People spread out through much of Western Europe. And then in terms of the US, offices in New York, in Albuquerque, in San Francisco, and offices in India and Singapore. So we have a pretty broad global footprint, but with a, you know, because of our initial founding presence, I would say the U.S. is still just right now got out in front from a size perspective huh. in Europe. And so, you know, the U.S. is still in a very, very rapid growth phase for us, even though it's also our biggest uh, business. Right, right. That makes sense. So can you share some of the names, the big names that are using Onfido's technology today? We have seven of the top 10 U.K. banks, three of the top 10 U.S. banks. Within that, I'd point to... Barclays awarded us their Innovator of the Year Award to help them streamline their onboarding. Tesco Bank, 5 million customer bank, which is one of the largest high street banks in the UK. TSB Bank is a neobank challenger bank with also 5 million customers. And in terms of you know new digital banking companies, NatWest created Metal, which does a two-minute onboarding experience. Revolut, one of the biggest digital banks in the world. 14 and a half million customers there. We've helped them quadruple the number of people they've onboarded. So those are just a matter. We work with almost all of the crypto companies and exchanges as well. You know, I could go on forever. We have uh, 850 customers today. I've been opening a few crypto accounts uh, this year, and I often see on Fido's technology as I go through that process. So, and speaking of which, maybe can you describe exactly what you're actually providing and how the technology works when during that account opening process? The core issue that a lot of customers need to solve is, you know, as I mentioned, who are you? And in order to get that you know, strong verification of who you are, it comes as a mix of a few different things. At its core is a government-issued ID. And so we're going to pull out your ID, 
pull out your cell phone, take a picture of the ID, both sides, potentially depending on what it is, take a picture of yourself. And then we use AI to both confirm that ID and then that, that you are indeed a real life human being and you're the same one as in that ID. And then we can also set up, depending on the, the customer requirements, we can allow them to also do a whole bunch of data checks. And so we can confirm, for example, a social security number. We can confirm where you live, your address. We can do a database checks of various different sorts. Like in the U.S., there's a driver's license database. So we can confirm that this driver's license is actually a you know, real valid driver's license based on the driver's license database. So those are all you know, checks that can give additional levels of scrutiny based on what customers are looking for. And those can vary in um, different countries around the world. So that's the core of the process and some of the, the variations that customers can have. Right. And then what about the expectations of your customers' customers, right? The people like myself who are opening up an account. What are their expectations now? I mean, is there still resistance for going and grabbing your driver's license or are people pretty much accepting it now? What's What do you see for your customers? The first question is, what are we comparing it to? Right? If you compare it to the old world, the old paper world, we had to go and drive to a bank and it's so much easier, right? And that right. really gets down to what are the expectations? The expectations are it's really fast, it's simple, it's streamlined, it's digital first and mobile first. You can do it on your phone wherever and whenever you want to happen. And so those are kind of the core pieces. And then it should be, you know, straightforward UI and streamlined experience and accurate with strong privacy controls. You know, 60% of people have said that they've abandoned onboarding flows when they're too complex, too cumbersome, or if they're concerned about their data. Finitech did a study about different banks' onboarding flows, found that some traditional banks are literally taking 120 clicks to set up a bank account right now. Now it's digital, give me credit for that, but relative to best in class, Revolut, one of our customers, they can do it in 24 clicks. Mm -hmm. so imagine that. Think about for a digital native these days, I can suspect that when you get to click number 50, or 75, you're starting to think, you know, I think there's a better way. And the way right. that companies like Revolut do it, they use a digital native partner like ours that, you know, does a very streamlined workflow, you know, using AI and ML and, and really make that into a first rate, high confidence experience for customers. And that will dramatically reduce the amount of steps and, you know, give customers more confidence and therefore increase your onboarding rates. Right, right. Because I remember when I was doing it recently on a website of a crypto platform, and then it was you guys' technology. And then I went switch. They said, go to your phone now and did it on my phone. You know, took a photo and did all what was required. And then went back and it continued on the website and it was completely seamless. I was really impressed by the technology that the sort of seamless way it goes from the desktop to the phone. So people may abandon an online application but it seems like, I mean, what are you seeing? Is it more around, I mean, are there points of friction that are generally considered those that where people mostly drop off? Or what do you see during that process? Where is the drop-off? Where is the friction? You know, if you look at the, the onboarding flows right now, when working well, they actually tend to have very, very high onboarding rates, 
Okay. There's a very strong benchmark there. But where customers can go sideways is, you know, think about the mechanics of you're pulling an ID out of your wallet and taking a picture of it. Well, the picture can be blurry, the lighting can be bad, there can be glare, all kinds of things. We screen for that, you know, on the device, actually it's part of the SDK. And so if you have glare or blurry or the lighting's poor, we'll tell you right there and say, you know, keep trying. And then as soon as we get it good, we'll automatically take a picture and move on. You know, those kind of setup issues that can really get in the way. And if you can't get a clean picture of either the ID or the person, then your ability to, to use ML or anything downstream is going to go way down. Right. So all of that is really where we see the, the biggest amount of fallout. Okay. So then, you know, so I took this picture and sent it into you guys. Where does that data reside? Do you delete it? What's your approach to, I guess, privacy and, and storing this stuff? We have a, a data deletion policy on our side where, you know, after a certain amount of time, everything gets deleted. And then we also allow our customers to set different deletion policies themselves. So if they want to customize and have a, a shorter period, we don't allow them to make it longer than our policy, but they can make it shorter if they want. And so that allows us to make sure that we're keeping only as much as our customers needs to, to solve their problems and not, you know, creating a privacy risk. And do you find that, you know, across age groups now, do you find like more drop-off, the older the demographic? Are there certain trends within the age groups as far as how much they, you know, they abandon the process? We see it kind of the other way around. The younger generation, 18 to 24, tend to have the highest part. Digital native, you know, they grew up expecting just a fantastic experience. Right. So they tend to have the, the least amount of forgiveness for poor digital experiences. And this is the demographic where in the coming years, they're going to be the, you know, the major account holders. They're going to be the, the people that are moving into their highest earning years and their, you know, loan origination years and stuff like that. So it's an absolutely key cohort for banks to really want to put their arms around. So we, we think that is a, you know, real eye opener for banks when we look at the demographics of, you know, who is, is most particular. Interesting. So they, um, they're going to have a higher drop-off. I mean, obviously, sometimes you don't get to control the process completely. You're just doing one piece of the onboarding. But I'm curious about if someone's listening to this and they want to deal with that age group, what do you recommend? How do they approach the onboarding process? I would go back to what we talked about a minute ago. Number one, make sure the onboarding process, you've really streamlined the heck out of it. Not just using someone like us, but looking at the entire flow. Is your onboarding process closer to 120 clicks or 24, right? Right. Let's get it down to 24 and look at every every step along the way and say, do I have to do this? Do I have to do this now? <laughs> can I do it after the onboarding process? Mm. Uh, and how can we do this in a progressive kind of way? You know, take a, a data-driven approach. We do some amount of consulting for our customers as well. And, you know, we're, sometimes where we notice on our side, hey, you're when we compare you to our best in class, you're not where we'd expect you to be, can we help you? And we'll go in and, and with some of our user experience experts, you know, look at their flow and give them a number of, of suggestions. So that's, you know, something that we can do to help partner with, with our customers. We've made some enormous, like multiple of differences when we had customers that were underperforming their expectations and just to go in and help them, you know, think through the whole flow and how it connects together. Right, right. So the digital identity piece that we're talking about here. What are the keys to getting it right? I mean, is it 
I mean, obviously you have deep experience now, many, many years, you know, on Fido, I, mean, I think it's like 10 years old now. Is that? Uh, That's right. We're having our 10-year birthday party in July. Is that- All right. Awesome. 10 years of experience to get digital identity right for a, a fintech or a bank. Are there certain sort of approaches that they can take? You know, is it really just what you said then? I mean, can you maybe expand on how banks and fintechs can get digital identity right? What are the keys? We just spent a lot of time talking about the the user experience during the onboarding process, but let's pop up a level. The first question is, which countries are you planning on doing your onboarding in? Because each country right now, the identity landscape varies dramatically by country. So the first question is where? <laughs> and now the second question is now, which documents are you, do you want to support? Because you may choose that some documents are inherently more susceptible to fraud than others, right? There are some older versions of driver's license that literally are like folded pieces of paper with handwritten stuff on it, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the most secure document in the world. There's no security <laughs> features on it, for example. It's really hard to really verify that one's actually real. And so first choose, you know, set up the problem and then, you know, really think through what level of assurance you need and what steps you want to do to ensure that. You know, we've talked a lot about the document and selfie process. It's kind of the core of what we do. But think about the all the other signals you might want to look at as well. And how does that vary by country and, and in different scenarios, right? Depending on the risk score. Are you going to do more or do less? Right? We have some companies that will take for lower risk customers and users and in lower risk scenarios, they'll do some relatively simple checks, database driven checks using different data signals and say, well, geez, if the device makes sense, the network signals make sense, the database checks are, are panning up, let's pass them through. That's okay. That's good enough for it. But if we're, any of those don't make sense or it's a higher risk scenario, We'll go all the way through and do all of that in addition to the full document selfie check. And so, you know, think about what your workflow is going to look like in which different scenario and then build that all out. That allows you to have the minimal friction where you can and get that right balance of the right level of, you know, real verification where you need it. Right. So that just brings up a question in my mind. Are you working with governments that have pretty weak systems in place where there's fraud is pretty rampant? I mean, do you do, you do any of that kind of thing or do you mainly just work with, uh, with corporations? So we are actually working with several governments less on that because that's more of a legacy problem. Right. And more on one of the problems that every government is facing right now is as they transition to more and more digital and digital forms of ID, how should that transition take place? How should they think about regulation? You know, we sit at kind of the, the intersection of identity, which is a very you know sovereign concept to every government, biometrics and privacy. And right. it's something that's a very evolving landscape. So we're, you know, helping, you know, several different governments think through that landscape and how it should evolve. And we're one voice, but you know, we have, as, as you pointed out, 10 years of experience, and we've done this 175 million times. So it's an informed opinion that we can help them think through how this might evolve. Right. So let's talk about risk for a second, because obviously everyone's got their own risk tolerance and there's different people. If someone's trying to take out a loan for $100,000 versus, you know, maybe send a $20 payment, there's different kind of risk factors in play there. 
And obviously each institution you work with is going to have their own tolerances there. But how do you evaluate from your perspective when you think someone is going to be high risk? You know, things that set off alarm bells for us would be, here's the obvious ones. If the phone is not a phone, <laughs> it's a virtual <laughs> machine running in Amazon. Well, the odds of that being a real user are something approaching zero, right? right? If it has different types of software on it that are very unusual in a consumer context, that starts to make us wonder. If it's coming from an area that's you know very different from where the user is from and the document they're bringing up, well, you know that's not necessarily that strong a signal. But depending on where it's coming from, if it's coming from you know one of the sanctioned countries, for example, well that obviously rings all the bells. But you know areas that are known for high levels of of online fraud, you know all of those things set off risks for, for us. Um, so those are all contextual things that we look at. You know then as we we do a number of AI driven checks on the documents themselves that will separate out real ones from fake ones. You look at all the ways that that people create fake documents. They can take a real document and and paste in a picture on top of it. Well, we can detect that. Take a real document again and doctor individual characters. Again, we can detect that. They can create a digital fake, a whole you know fake document that's just created digitally. We can detect that. So all of these different things set off alarm bells. So any of those latter signals I just mentioned are ones that if you're doing that full doc and face, as we get that, you know, we, we will flunk those immediately. Or, or mm-hmm. another one, you know, we can detect if someone is wearing a mask. The new fraud vectors that are out there are either a complete digital fake where they fake the document and they fake the person. Well, we can detect, are you actually a real person? Or are you a real person wearing a Mission Impossible-like, you know, silicon mask to make you look like the person on the ID? We can detect that too. So all of those different things will set off alarm bells for us and say, no, this is fraud. You should reject this person. With your AI models that you've got, I mean, how much better is it than a human? I hear that like humans aren't actually very good at detecting this sort of stuff compared to what some of the latest models are. Is it, I mean, can you give us some sense of like maybe how effective the AI models are? There's things that humans are good at and there's things that humans are really bad at and vice versa. There's things that, that computers are really good at and things they're not great at. When you blend all that stuff together, historically, human beings started out being better than machines. And those lines right now are just starting to cross. And so when you put in all of the different things together, we can now have you know, a fully automated solution that's getting either the same or in some cases better performance than a combination of a, an augmented human. I mean, let's start up. Let me scale this a little bit. A human being by themselves, doing a sort of mechanical tech Turk version of looking at documents and doing a compare in a fully manual way, the performance is not very good. Human being combined with machine, where the machines do the best they can and it gets escalated to a human being, that has been the state of the art in the last several years. And now fully automated solutions like what we're building are just now getting to that level of performance. And we expect that they continue on that trajectory and over the next several quarters uh, and, and going forward from there, start to exceed. Right, right. Okay. I want to talk about portable identity. It's something that I read about from you guys recently. And uh, can you explain what it is and how you're bringing that to market? So the concept of portable identity is allowing customers to do a verification once 
and create a secure ID that they hold themselves. And they can then use it portably in the sense that they can use it at, you know, across a number of different companies. And so we have one of our customers, SecureKey, based in Canada, that's doing exactly that. So we help them onboard new customers, and they are working with a consortium of banks. And then that ID that gets created as part of that, uh, that credential, can now be used not just for that one bank that did the initial onboard, but can be used across that banking consortium and for other companies as well. And so the idea then is that that is in control you know, of the end user, of the person who is doing that onboarding process. And so we're also working with Microsoft Azure Active Directory Verifiable Credentials, and where they're doing something similar. You know, we see this as a, an emerging trend. So we think that over time, more and more of the control of identity moves to the end user, where you know, I as an end user can figure out and can decide what I'm willing to share with any individual company that's asking for a verification. You're right. And I've seen a few companies doing things in the like the DeFi space and you know, where people say, Well, you're gonna have your crypto wallet and that's gonna store your your ID and you can go around the decentralized world and have that be your identity that's you know accepted in that way. And now obviously this is still not production ready yet. Are you doing anything in the DeFi world or the crypto world on on that? Yeah, so we see the the worlds of digital IDs moving in a couple of different directions. The decentralized ID or DIDs as part of the DeFi movement is a piece of that. My current belief is that we're moving to a world where there's going to be a crazy number of wallets out there, right? Everyone's going to have a wallet. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably unsustainable. I think ultimately there's probably going to be a smaller number of wallets that you know people use and reuse and more and more. Like Apple obviously has created a wallet, Google's created a wallet, Samsung's created a wallet. Those ones probably get some level of reuse across a number of apps versus every app having their own. But I think in the near term, we're seeing a thousand uh, flowers bloom on that. So we're certainly, our goal is to make sure that our customers can have the most streamlined verification experience and they can do it across whatever mix of IDs are available. So, you know, if someone has a wallet that we recognize with a credential that that company is willing to accept, great, we can use that. Very simple. Mm-hmm. If there's, you know, an Apple wallet on the device that has a, you know, a credential again that that company is willing to accept, great, we can accept that. And so just really, you know, in this world where, you know, I think it's going to be pretty balkanized for a long time, just help customers solve their core problem, which is, am I able to onboard customers in a fast, seamless, secure way, you know, do that in, in the most streamlined way possible, given what's available, you know, on that person's device. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. So switching gears, you're going to be talking on a keynote stage at Lender Fintech USA. As we're recording this, it's only uh, nine days away, but you're going to be talking about creating an Amazon-like experience for finance. So can you give us a bit of a sneak peek on what you're referring to there? Yeah, think about what some of those best-in-class digital banks are offering right now. Can you sign someone up in you know, a couple of dozen clicks or less going forward? How streamlined can you make that experience? The challenge that banks have right now, as we'll talk about, is the back-end systems are massively complex. Most banks have a number of different back-end systems they're trying to work with. At the same time, 
they have a very strict KYC and underwriting process, and they might have dozens or even a hundred or more different vendors that they're trying to juggle as part of that flow. So the first question is, how simple and streamlined can you make that? Because given all that complexity, that massive complexity they need to deal with, how streamlined can they make that? Can they work with a company like us that has not only inherently part of that flow really nicely streamlined, but also using orchestration where we can tie together all those disparate um, pieces and you know create a you know much more streamlined meta flow. So is it possible? Yeah, it is possible. We have you know proof points of companies that have done it, but it's certainly not easy. And I actually think we'll, it'll be an active conversation as we hear from you know Aaron at, at HSBC talking about his experiences in dealing with the complexity they have and, and how streamlined can they make that. Got it. Okay. So then um, you're also making a, a big announcement on May 25th. Can you give us a little bit of a hint or a teaser on what you're going to be talking about? You know, without, you know, talking about the entire announcement, but I will <laughs> say you'll hear us talking about more and more AI and more advanced AI capabilities. You'll hear us talk about broadening our platform and making it more configurable and solving a you know, a much more complex problem. And with all the advances coming in AI and biometrics that bring to the table, all the new analytics that we're bringing, it's going to be exciting. Let's put it that way. I'm- okay, sounds good. So finally then, before we wrap, I'd love you to sort of get your personal vision for when you look at you know, digital identity and, and the future and um, what's coming down. I mean, what, what's your vision for how digital identity is going to play out? Let's turn the clock back for a moment. You know, on Fido 10 years ago, what was the founding vision? When Hussein, Amen, and Rahul got together, their view was that we need to create an open world where the digital world was accessible for everyone. And that's still absolutely critical, right? Back then, there were some gatekeepers that we can all name that everyone had to go through. And if you were a thin file person like Hussein came from, from Iran, and they weren't in the database. So they couldn't actually get a bank account. They couldn't rent an apartment in their name. They had this, you know, sort of extensive chicken and egg problem they needed to get through before they could actually be a first-class part of the financial ecosystem. So their view is that, boy, there's a fundamental fairness problem of people that immigrate should be able to participate from day one. People of different ethnicities, which nowadays, now moving the clock forward a bit, which have bias when they met in person, but now uh, we also have algorithmic bias that they're facing. How do we create an open world that everyone can get access to? So that was kind of a core founding principle that we still care deeply about. Now what's going on is the world's getting a ton more complex. Right? We're seeing more and more regulation in every country, and those regulations aren't converging. They're actually moving apart. We're seeing as the world's moving online, the fraud's moving online. So the fraud problem's getting more complex, and customers need to take more comprehensive steps. We're seeing the rise of digital IDs, we talked about a second ago, and the rise of digital currencies that are subject to all of that stuff I just described. And so the customer landscape is getting a ton more complex. At the same time, customer expectations are for things to get easier and easier. And so that's really our goal and our our mission as a company is to simplify digital ID, to help our customers solve for this increasingly complex landscape 
and make it simple and easy and do that for them globally in a digital first, digital native way, powered by AI that's available around the world. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, Mike. It's important work you're doing, and it's one that's going to be around. I mean, this is the sort of thing that you know we're going to need in 100 years' time, just as much as we need today as things evolve. But anyway, thanks again for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You know, as I say, Unfido is doing something that's very important. Every bank, every financial institution on the planet must have a digital identity solution now because if you want to open up an account online or on a phone, which let's face it, if you're not doing that, you are way behind as it is. But every financial institution wants to do this pretty much now and need to do it quickly and efficiently while at the same time doing it securely. And those three things are not easy to combine. And that's what Onfido provides. As I said, I've been through the process multiple times myself just in recent months, and it's really a pretty slick system they have. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.